0: Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Alex Parkinson, who is Associate Director of the Society for New Communications Research. Today we will discuss the society. Alex is also Senior Researcher at the Society for New Communications Research of the Conference Board, SNCR. He specializes in corporate Philanthropy and Communications and Marketing, and is the executive editor of the Giving Thoughts and SNCR blogs and accompanying online publications. Alex led the integration effort between the Society for New Communications Research and the Conference Board when the two organizations came together in February of 2016. He is a member of the SNCR Advisory Board. Before joining the Conference Board in September of 2013, he worked as a senior consultant in London and New York for Context. At the time, he advised his clients, such as Bloomberg, Brown Foreman, B-Sky B, Burt's Bees, Cisco, HP, International Paper, PepsiCo, Roche, Standard Chartered, Syngenta, Tiva Pharmaceuticals, and Vodafone about Corporate Social Responsibility Communications, and Strategy Development. Alex, welcome.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Let's start with an easy question. Sounds good. What are we talking about when we say the Society for New Communications Research of the Conference Board?
1: Right, and I, I'm sorry it's a mouthful for everyone, Um <laughs> But the, the Society for New Communications Research, or as we lovingly call it, Snicker, which is the SNCR acronym, um, is an organization that was founded in 2005 in Silicon Valley and uh, Palo Alto, dedicated to the advanced study of the latest developments in uh, new and, and emerging communications tools and technologies. At the time, uh, that really focused specifically on social media. Um, the, the organization was actually formed out of a, a group of fellows who had attended a conference about social media. Half of attendees who said, well, this is just a fad and it's not going anywhere. And then the other half, or these fellows who said, hang on, that uh, we don't necessarily agree with that. I think this is going to be quite transformational in business. Uh, so they, they began uh, Snicker in order to further study social media uh, in business, and it's now been ex- expanded to include um, all sorts of more modern technologies like digital, uh, mobile, those that, their effects on business, media, health, law, uh, culture in general, in general, um, and and new things like uh, AI, artificial intelligence, and virtual reality. Uh, we have a, a range of fellows who focus on any number of different. Um, communications tools and technologies
0: so that's snicker which sounds like a chocolate bar right <laughs> And that's
1: right or a shoe
0: <laughs> or a shoe okay <laughs> and now the other part is it's the society for new communications research of the conference board so that's the other half what is the conference board
1: right thank you for uh for for that the, so the conference board is a hun- a one hundred year old organization we uh we actually celebrated our centenary uh, last year um it is a a business and economic think tank or a research organization uh, that studies um All sorts of of corporate and business-related issues, everything from uh, economics. We have a a large economics team producing uh, um, some well-known economic indicators, such as the Consumer Confidence Index and the Leading Economic Index, Uh, We have a human capital research team that that looks at uh, issues to do with human resources. And then where where I sit with corporate philanthropy and uh, communications and marketing is within our uh, corporate leadership team, which also encompasses issues like sustainability uh, and corporate governance. Then in addition to uh, research, we also convene executives um, on all of these issues as well. So we have in excess of 100 what we call councils or peer networking groups um, covering uh, any number of different business topics and different business issues. Uh, they meet two or three times a year to discuss discuss in a confidential environment uh, their challenges and opportunities uh, everything that they're grappling with um, uh, in in their day to day jobs and then finally as the name suggests we also we also do conferences as well so uh, across all of those business topics we we have a range of conferences every year too uh, we are a, a membership organisation so uh, we have i think approximately 800 uh, corporate members around the world we are headquartered in new york uh but we also have offices in uh, in china in beijing uh in brussels uh and uh, singapore as well so we have a we have quite a, a far reaching um remit if you will uh, we're looking more closely at the middle east now as well as africa uh, and then on top of that, we have a sister organization in Canada too, the Conference Board of Canada. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's it's a, a big organization that's been tackling business issues for uh, for a century now.
0: Is it a for-profit or a non-profit organization?
1: It, it is non-profit. Thank you for for asking that. Yeah, it's it's a non-profit organization. We have a uh, a social. Um, a social mandate as well um, to, to provide uh, information to to business and to help uh, businesses meet um, community objectives as well.
0: Tell us a little bit more about your organization within the United States
1: yeah so uh the u s is our is our biggest market and as i said we're headquartered in in new york um we our members our member companies range from uh some of the largest uh companies in the country uh or in the world we we have uh something like uh ten of uh of the the fortune fortune twenty five i think biggest companies um we we cover Every corner of of the country as well so we we you know we have uh hubs where a lot of companies are such as new york or um or california um twin cities in in minneapolis as well uh texas so we 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 do cover all of the country uh, and our meetings that we host our conferences and councils tend to uh, tend to follow that as well so we often have our corporate members hosting these meetings uh, wherever they might be based. Um, what else to tell you about how we operate in the U.S.? Um, you know, I, I think one of the interesting things is our our centre model. So we we recently moved into this strategy that um, that sh- that disseminates our knowledge or our research and our uh, councils and and the knowledge and insights that come out of those councils through these different centers. So we now have 16 centers um, covering different business issues. So for my particular focus, we have the Corporate Citizenship and Philanthropy Center uh, and the Communications and Marketing Center. So all of our all of our work is funneled through these centres, and business executives who work for companies that are members of the conference board can uh, can access information or sign up to a centre or multiple centres that they're interested in, uh, and and have information delivered to them um, via those centres. Um, it's not just large corporations that are members as well. We have uh, a number of nonprofit organizations that are members, um, a number of universities as well that we are affiliated with, and then smaller companies too. So um, even sole practitioners uh, are members of the conference
0: board as well. Are your events open specifically for members or are they also open to the public?
1: So the conferences are open to the public. Um, Obviously, there's a charge for the conferences. Members do tend to, depending on their membership level, do tend to have um, conference passes and things like that included. Um, But but people can still attend from the public as well. The councils, however, are only for members. So the, the company that you work for needs to be a, a conference board member in order for you to access those councils.
0: Who would you say is the, the company or more specifically perhaps the individual because companies are members, but it's people who attend events, right? Mm-hmm. So who would you say are the people who are most likely to benefit individually or their company, and also to benefit your organization. Where, what, what's the good match in terms of, for our listeners who might be intrigued and want to know, whether they're a good fit for the organization?
1: Yeah, good question. We, we target fairly senior uh, executives. So, um, you know, we, we've been focusing quite recently on, um, on reaching the C-suite in particular, um we we believe that you know the the knowledge that we can create for the C suite allows um, allows that to be filtered down into the organization uh, as well and and we can help the C suite make more strategic uh, decisions as well um that's not to say that that what we do isn't important for for lower level uh, executives as well uh you know our councils uh, for those decision makers really um, it's it's about sharing uh, experiences and challenges and helping each other make strategic decisions so anywhere sort of from I guess a, a VP up is I think a, a primary uh, primary audience or target audience for us um, with the conferences we we tend to uh, see a bigger range of or a broader range of people attending uh, down to about the manager level. Uh, those are, are sort of very tac- tactical events, um, and a, a great opportunity for uh, younger and uh, or, or um, less senior people to um, to network and to advance their knowledge as well to help them grow uh, as individuals.
0: What would you say are your salient events you mentioned that you have a number of conferences how many conferences are we talking about is there one or more that really stand out if someone wants to get the most either out of their membership or wants to explore the organization get a feel for whether that might be an organization they want to join that you would say is representative of the best that you've got
1: Mm. So we we have over 120 conferences per year. Um, I, I given our audience today, Elena, and and my expertise, I I will talk a little bit more about the corporate uh, communications and marketing events. So we have an annual corporate communications conference. Uh, this year, it's being held at the end of June in New York um we we get uh 100, 100, a hundred about a hundred sometimes a little more uh people coming to that conference uh it's it's held over a day and a half um we have you know a lot of case studies from companies a lot of executives speaking at uh at the event it's it's great networking as well um so i think i think the corporate communications conference is probably one of our our sort of leading events and that's not just in our topic area, I think across the organization as well. It's it's one of our bigger and, um, and more impactful conferences too.
0: How would you say that it's different or perhaps similar to other corporate communications, conferences and events organized by public relations or communications organizations?
1: Yeah I, I think what what the conference board really offers is uh this this vast network of corporate executives um who know the organization who trust it um who have had experience with it before um and who enjoy attending these these events um a lot of a lot of the people that put these events on for us are former executives themselves uh, so they have very, very strong networks. They have access to wonderful speakers. Um, and the, these events tend to be tailored highly towards networking and building your professional network and, and giving you time to network, um, giving you the opportunity to uh, to meet senior people and to hear from the, really the best in the business. Um we, we focus very heavily on those business executives uh, disseminating their and sharing their knowledge rather than um, hearing from from consultants or people who might be selling to you so they they are intended uh, to, to give you a um, a strong network and a strong uh, strong lessons from business executives
0: Are these people that are selected from among your membership? Are these people selected following any particular criteria? You mentioned that they're not sales-oriented, which, of course, is a common theme in many of the events, is that the speakers and the exhibitors pay a fee in order to present, so it sounds like perhaps that's organized different through your organization.
1: Uh, we we do tend to pick uh, speakers who um, who are members. We we like to do that, um, but it's I think it's more tapping into the networks of these individuals that uh, that are creating the agendas um, and creating the experience for attendees as well. Uh, now often. They have come to us having been a member of the conference board uh, the conference board sorry um, in their previous uh, positions so they uh, you know they they know how we operate and they know um, the reputation of the conference board so that often means that uh, they are working within our membership as well um. That's not to say that we don't have speakers who aren't members of the conference board. Where we are, of course, happy to do that. But where that is the case, um, they they will be corporate representatives more so than than uh, consultants selling. We do uh, we do have our conferences sponsored so sometimes consultants are, are sponsors of the conference and um they can be given a, a slot to speak at as well but that is that that is not definitely not the uh the, the strategy and it's it tends to be in the min- minority um you know we we might have three or four sponsors for a conference so uh you know there there aren't they don't take up a large number of speaking slots
0: you also have a an awards event. Is that part of the same conference?
1: Yeah. So this you're you're referring to the Excellence in New Communications Awards, uh, and uh, and thank you for for bringing that up. Um, so the, these awards were started by Snicker, um, the Society for New Communications Research, as we uh, we spoke about before. They they were started uh, in 2005 and we're now en- entering. We, we had, there was a little hiatus there as the two organizations merged, so we're now entering uh, the 13th year. Um, it is a case study based awards program, so we ask uh, organizations to submit case studies uh, detailing um, efforts that they have made uh, in, in innovative use of digital or social media or mobile technologies. Um the, the, and for the record, the, the submissions process is open now as we speak until the end of February. Um, so uh, February 23rd is the deadline, 2018, uh, to submit your case studies. You can do that at org slash SNCR awards 2018. Um so the the uh the award, once once the submissions are closed we have a panel of judges who are snicker advisory board members um who who look at uh all of the submissions and uh, and grade the submissions accordingly and and according to uh various cri- judging criteria uh we will announce the winners uh in about the end of March and then we have the the uh presentation program as part of the conference at the end of June as well. Uh, the, the, the event itself, the, the presentation, although we already know who the winners are, it, it's still really useful because we, we do it in such a way that we ask the winners to, um, to come up, uh, accept the award, and then we have a sort of Q&A with them as well to understand a little bit more about the program, to hear more about them, uh, the people who submitted it or the person leading the, the particular project that was uh, that was honoured. Um, and then we have uh, we present the case study of the organization too um so you you definitely learn by by attending that ceremony you learn more about uh, the winning case studies and then once once the presentation has happened uh we also publish those case studies online as well the winning case studies so we have a um we have a website where all of those case studies are housed and you can go and learn uh, a little bit more about about why those companies or those programs were, were honored with an award.
0: What is it that you are looking for in terms of this case studies?
1: Yeah so um, well we, we have uh, six divisions and six categories so um, the divisions are uh, from academic organizations from corporations, uh, government, media, non profit or uh new technology innovative innovative technology companies. Uh so they can be sort of smaller than than the larger corporates. And then the six categories that we have this year, uh, they've been they they get tweaked a little bit from year to year just to make sure we're remaining constant. But the six categories we have this year are innovation in digital experience, uh, communications, communities and collaboration, multi platform communications, social data for customer experience and operational efficiency, storytelling, and finally, digital authenticity and reputation management. Um, and if you're interested to hear a little bit more about what that category includes, I'm, I'm happy to, or what each of those category includes, I'm happy to, to do that. Um, but then our judging criteria um, you know, we we look specifically at projects that are successful at achieving business goals. Now, that might also mean um, social impact goals, if that is, if if you're a non-profit and uh, your your goal is to achieve social impact. Um, but some of the criteria that we use uh, to to judge these are measurable business impact, um, effective use of other of um, other program performance met- metrics, other than just um, those that that show business impact. So depending on what your goals for the program might be, what performance metrics are you using to measure that? Uh, As I mentioned, contribution to achieving business or organisational goals, including uh, social social impact goals. Uh, Integration of digital and traditional platforms. So that's we really want to highlight the use of innovative digital work here. Uh, Efforts to overcome obstacles, and take advantage of opportunities. Uh, we do, in the case study submissions, ask about, um, about challenges that were faced and how uh, the program team overcame those challenges. So that's an important uh, contribution as well. And then a recognition of the lessons learned along the way as well. So those are just a range of some of the judging criteria uh, that we look at.
0: You offered to tell us a little bit more about each of the six categories.
1: Yes sure i'm happy to do that so uh innovation in digital experience so this this category includes uh, for example social marketing projects or projects utilizing um things like you know very um very uh, new digital technologies like augmented reality or virtual reality, uh, digital retail, Internet of Things. These are all just some of the examples, Um, as well as uh, projects that that might be developed to reach newer or younger audiences as well that might might not have been uh, tackled in the past. Uh, The the category can include startup projects as well as um, experiments that might be being used to chart the future as well. The next category, uh, Communications, Communities and Collaboration. This uh, this category includes internal or external projects using social media and online community platforms uh, for customer or employee communities, developer communities, corporate intranets, for example, or any other sort of engagement initiatives that, um, that, that look to bring together a community of people uh, to share knowledge um, as well. Uh, multi platform communications the category includes integrated communications and campaigns to reach unplugged audiences and new devices so for example, one of the things that came up this year was uh the the increase in screens in cars um that's just an example but how are you how are you uh developing communications to to meet those people who are on the move now um We'll we'll judge that category, among other things, on on the planning and analytics uh, of those platforms as well. Then social data for customer experience and operational efficiency. We we used to call this social listening, so if if that sort of helps to understand what we're trying to get at here. um, The category includes application and use of social data for improved communications, customer insights, customer experience, improvement, uh, research and development and innovation as well. So it's not just about listening to customers uh, and responding to them, although that is is certainly a part of this. Um, and and innovative projects to do that would be uh, would be well received. But it's also about taking information that companies learn through social media or or other uh, data providers or data sources, and and using that information within the organization to make more strategic decisions. Um, or to, to ha- perhaps improve efficiency or something like that. Then we have storytelling. Uh, this is always a very popular category. Uh, it includes both text-based and visual media. Um, obviously, we are sort of turning towards the visual medias uh, a lot more these days, uh, so f- uh, photo campaigns, video fa- uh, campaigns, or other graphics as well. Um Entrance will be judged here uh, on their ability to construct and disseminate a narrative. Really, that's um that's at the core of this category. And then finally, uh the last category is digital authenticity and reputation management. And this this is sort of um this is a new category this year, and it's 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 come about a little bit as a result of the fake news uh Issue We, at, and perhaps we'll talk about this soon as well, but we at Snicker uh, did some research last year into fake news. Uh, so we wanted to reflect the, the focus, the societal focus that is on fake news at the moment um, and try to honour those companies that are, are trying to do something about uh, tackling the fake news problem. So the category includes efforts to authenticate digital communications and media uh, and improve digital thought leadership. Uh, We'll judge judge entrants on efforts to improve media literacy, for example, among employees and the general public, um, among other judging criteria as well.
0: What type of – are the submissions open only to members or can anybody submit a case study for the awards?
1: This is open to anyone. Yeah, this, it's it's not a, a member-specific um, awards program, so any company can submit.
0: And what are the fees associated with the entries?
1: It's $175 per submission. Uh, you can submit multiple entries if you like, but it's it, that's that's the fee per submission.
0: And how complex is the submission process? Are we talking two pages? Are we talking three months' worth of preparing submission materials
1: yeah I it's it's um, more towards the former there so so towards two pages perhaps a little bit longer than two pages um, you know I guess it's as as laborious as uh, you want it to be depending on on how uh, how much information you think is required to um, to win a, a category Um it, it does. It does ask, and I can I can go through some of the uh, some of the submission guidelines if you like. Um, it, it does ask for you know probably two hundred and fifty to five hundred words per uh, per field. So you know we're asking things like, uh, as I mentioned before, challenges and uh, deployment of the technologies and things like that. Um, so it, it it tends towards probably two to three pages. Uh, we also allow for supporting material as well. So if there's something that has been, um, developed a PowerPoint presentation or a video or, you know, something uh, to help support the, the, um, the entry, then there is a, an opportunity to submit that as well. Uh, but most of the, most of the work is text-based. So, um, you do need to sort of spend the time to, to draft the submission, um, if you like, I, I, can, I can go over some of the submission uh, categories or submission guidelines. Would that be useful? Sure. Okay. So uh, we asked to describe the issue um, that, that is being addressed or the challenge that, uh, that you're trying to solve, um, to define the target audience, to describe the solution, including any goals and objectives uh, that, were, that were inherent in there to describe how the solution was deployed, uh, including any of the challenges that were encountered, to talk about uh, the qualitative or quantitative measures of success and how do these results specifically map to the objectives that uh, that you stated in the previous category, to list the team and the roles each member played in the team, uh, to list the tools involved or the tools used as well. Uh, and that's that's really about it. And then we ask some general questions about the uh, about the company, um, the industry, and revenue, and things like that. So it's it's about uh, let's see, it's about seven seven or so fields, some of which are a little more comprehensive than others. Um, and within each of those submission guidelines, we have space for about five hundred words or so. Uh, so I think two to three pages is probably accurate.
0: Oftentimes, we see a strong emphasis on numbers. Quality tends to take a back seat to quantity in many measures, certainly that we have online. And for media, for communications, a lot of the times we have a tendency to focus on how many people we're reaching as opposed to whether we're reaching the actual market segment that we're targeting. What kind of emphasis, if any, do you place on these two sometimes competing aspects, meaning quality and quantity?
1: Yeah, we um – we, we tend to focus on quality uh, more than quantity in terms of, of judging. So we, we, have, um, we have a number of experts in communications measurement who are, um, are fellows of, of Snicker and advisory board members. Uh, Katie Payne, for example, um, who, who runs the measurement enclave, uh, is is you know is very very sophisticated in her knowledge of of measurement and has has led I think the industry for a number of years in terms of of helping to develop um, measurement techniques for for communications. So our our judges aren't necessarily going to be won over by um those you know those those trying to be delicate in my language, but um those unsophisticated measures. Of, uh, of reach. It's, it's going to be more about how, how significant are the measures that, that you are, um, are looking at to the business objectives. And that's, that's what's really important. Are you aligning your measurement with the business objectives that you're trying to achieve? Um, and that could be social objectives as well. Uh, it's not about we reached X number of people. Uh, it's about how how important uh, was were reaching those people to achieving the business success. So if, if if you can demonstrate that you're aligning your your metrics or measurements with the business, uh, you're going to be in a in a stronger position. I think.
0: Tell us a little bit about the diversity aspect as we see our country evolving and our demographics changing rapidly and the mainstream becoming much more diverse than it was in past decades, Mm -hmm. how is that reflected, for example, in your case studies and in your advisory board that is making decisions on these case studies? Do you have advisory board members, for example, who are familiar with – multicultural markets, Hispanic markets, multilingual efforts?
1: Great question. Um, we, we we do have some. I, I will say that we are perhaps not as well versed in that or, or well represented in that area as we could be. Um, we we have a very strong representation of women on our advisory board. Um, we, we do have uh, some representatives and, and judges as well who um, who are, uh, are Spanish speakers and and uh, Latinas, uh, but not not a large proportion, admittedly. Um, having said that, I I will say that you know we we are very conscious of these issues. We're not a group uh, that only only sort of – let me rephrase that. We, we are a group that acknowledge the, the, the changing demographics, as you pointed out, um, and we, we do want to honour that when, when we're judging these case studies and when we're reaching out for them as well. Um, we're trying to expand our advisory board internationally. We've brought on three members from Europe uh, in the past year, we we are trying to reach uh the asia pacific as well as uh, as latin america so although we haven't had as much success at that uh as as we have with europe at the moment so you know i i think um there's there's definitely an understanding but perhaps the the representation could be stronger um what i will say as well is that you know, if, if we're looking at a category like uh, the social data category, uh, efforts efforts to show that you are listening to an audience, um, a multicultural audience, uh, and and adjusting your strategic business decisions to to reflect that audience uh, and the lessons that you've learned from that audience. A case study like that is going to be very uh, very significant and very well received uh, b- by the awards program as well.
0: In terms of diversity of size, you talked about solo practitioners being among your membership. This is also one of the issues I've seen a number of times is that small companies don't have the time, don't have the inclination to submit to an awards program such as this one because it takes so much effort on their part and they're so focused on just making it through their critical issues Mm. and so that there is a competitive advantage to the larger companies. But it also means that when we look at the overall picture, We're missing out on a very large segment of the population because most of our country, and I don't know how true this is when we look at the international picture, but certainly in the United States, the backbone of the country is made up of small businesses. Mm -hmm. How, if at all, are you addressing that inclusion in the overall organization and specifically as we discussed this conference and the awards? Mm.
1: Well, I would say we we don't we don't have a, a specific strategy or plan to do that necessarily. Uh, I, I think it's a very valid point that you raise. Um, but what I will say is that you know we we are a nimble group, and we, we're willing to to help and to work with organisations that um, that might suffer from those challenges, uh, and and to try to help them. Participate. Um, so, for example, in practice, that might mean rather than telling you to uh, to write out your uh, your case study submission, you know, we could get on the phone and do it as an interview style and, and allow help you or allow you to just talk through it in in a way that might be uh, quicker and easier than sitting down and writing the whole thing. Um, so, you know, I, I really manage and run the awards program directly um all the queries come through me i set up the uh the portal the submission portal uh as well so i'm i'm more than happy to to work with people to try to make it more accessible and easier for them if if that is something that um that's preventing them from entering
0: a few minutes ago you talked about fake news and this has been of course uh, so much in the news lately, and there are so many concerns. I saw a survey the other day that talked about a very large percentage of the population, not just students, which I had heard of before, but regular everyday people, business people, consumers who had trouble distinguishing the legitimate news from fake news, and in addition to that, the muddying of the social media waters with all of this election yep. and politics, fake issues. What can you tell us about the fake news?
1: Yeah, well, it's it's um, it, it, it's a huge issue, um, and all of all of the areas that uh, you just discussed are, are really important. I, I think I mentioned in our. Some of our uh, judging criteria or in those categories that you know we're, we're, we're interested to hear about examples of, of companies that are helping to try to improve media literacy um, to try to counter some of those uh, those issues that you mentioned about um, about not being able to discern fake news over over legitimate media our Our research so far has focused on. Um, trying to benchmark where uh, marketers and advertisers are in terms of their uh, knowledge of brand adjacency um, and their uh, companies acknowledgement of of fake news in their advertising and, and how they sort of might unwittingly contribute to that. So, at the moment, we we published a piece in December uh, of 2017, uh, which, which was based on a survey run from uh, August 2017 to November 2017 that uh, targeted marketers and advertisers, and it looked at their awareness, uh, attitudes, and actions to fake news in the context of programmatic advertising in particular. Um, we we ask them questions like Do you know where Do you know all of the uh, publications at which your advertising runs uh, Who should take the the lead in solving the problem of fake news as it relates to advertising um, You know what what will you be doing to try to counter this issue Will you reduce spend with partners that include unreliable sites uh, Will you increase direct spend with Brand safe publishers. Will you uh, will you um, start to to spend more on private markets and leave open exchanges? Sorry, private exchanges and and leave open exchanges. Sort of questions like that. Um, what we found was that uh, one one of the one of the biggest takeaways from this research was that almost half of marketers that we surveyed. Really have so little control over their ad programs as a result of programmatic advertising that they don't even know where their ads are running um, and this was you know this this was interesting because the conference board itself actually faced uh, an issue in in with regard to this um, where our adverts appeared on on sites that we uh, didn't know it were, they were appearing on and uh, and we we didn't want them appearing on. Uh, and as a result, we shut down our programmatic advertising campaign uh, to, to sort of take a, uh, take a breath and re-strategize around it because clearly this became an issue. Um, people that we surveyed acknowledge that adjacency to fake news or having your brand associated with fake news sites is problematic and, and you know, that it, it will harm the brand. Yet at the same time, they, they tended to place the responsibility, uh, for solving the problem of fake news on, uh, on publishers and the media companies, uh, and the social media platforms rather than, uh, say for example, the agencies that are buying their, their advertising or the, or themselves. Um, so they're, they're sort of looking to someone else to solve the problem, which, uh, we, we thought was, was quite interesting. Um, we, we're now, uh, going to be expanding or extending our research rather, uh, into more qualitative uh, research to look at case studies of companies that are trying to do something about this. Um, the, the big one that, uh, that came up last year was, uh, Procter & Gamble that actually, uh, decided to, uh, take a, take money out of, of, um, programmatic advertising uh, in order to, to sort of um, try to steer uh, a little bit more about, about where their branding was, was going to appear um, in an effort to, to try to solve the issue of, of, of uh, fake news. So, you know, we, we'll be looking at case studies like that of companies that are trying to, to affect change in this area and what they're trying to do in order to, to help solve the problem. Um, And and we plan to do that more uh, in in the coming months.
0: This actually is a perfect segue to my next question, which is, (laughs) (laughs) do you provide any kind of guidelines, ethical guidelines, good practice guidelines to your members and to the public in general, if you will, certainly the corporate public, as to best practices, things like is it appropriate to buy followers? This, of course, has been in the news lately with the Twitter companies and the individuals who have been buying tens of thousands and more followers. But also, for example, other companies that are paying people to post likes and photos and preferences about products and services on social media so they are inherently biased mm.
1: that that's a, a great um, that's a great point we we don't offer that at the moment um, snicker in the past has produced uh, best practice guidelines on a variety of issues uh, and honestly it is something that uh, we we think that we should probably start doing uh, again. So I you know I think that's a, an excellent a excellent example of an area that we could uh, perhaps help out.
0: On a slightly related topic, but in terms of recommendations or guidelines, the other topic that has been very much in the media lately mm-hmm. is the issue of sexual harassment in businesses and what to do it's bled beyond just businesses it's gone into the art world politics the arts. if you have an exhibit of an artist that has been accused or confessed or or there's a lot of gray areas in there what should you do are there guidelines as far as I've seen no one has any specific guidelines there's a lot of controversy What, if any, of these issues have you tackled, and do you have any guidelines for your members in that regard?
1: You know, I I think I might be a a, a little bit of a coward here and defer um, to my human capital research colleagues on on this particular issue. Uh, Unfortunately, we don't have them here to talk about it. that I think they would be in a better position to, you know, to discuss guidelines or, or policies um, with regard to sexual harassment and, and how companies should be dealing with those issues. Uh, it's, it's a – human capital is there sort of is, – is their um, strategic expertise or subject matter expertise, so I think I would suggest – um, having a look at at uh, something like the Human Capital Exchange, which is a, uh, a sort of blog and research platform that is run by our Human Capital team at the Conference Board. Um, the Human Capital Exchange is, most of the information there is available to the public. Um, some of the research pieces, more in-depth research pieces will be member only, but you can certainly visit. Uh, the human capital exchange, and and uh, you know, look around and and start to think about those issues, and I think uh, you'll get a, a better idea of a, of a best practices from them than you would from me.
0: What are we referring to when we talk about blockchain for the marketing and communications industry?
1: Mm. So, I um, this this is. Really interesting to me. It's all interesting to me. But I, I, um, you know, I, I was really thrilled to have this piece, uh, that we released in December from, uh, one, another one of our fellows, Phil Gomes, uh, who is VP of digital, B2B digital at Edelman, um, and a real expert in blockchain. He, he did a quite a comprehensive, uh, piece of thought leadership regarding, um, regarding blockchain for the communications and marketing industry and what what it might mean um it was it was done in uh, in collaboration with uh with uh the 4A's which I should mention as well um, and you know it it sort of laid out uh a range of particular areas that blockchain could influence, um, the marketing and, and communications world. Uh, he has a nice quote at the front, which I'll, which I'll read to you, uh, which I think, you know, kind of sums it up a little bit. He calls it the central question for marketers. As an organization or consortium, what do you think you might accomplish with all of your stakeholders and audiences? If you could create a single, shared, survivable, immutable version of digital truth, um, and it's interesting to ponder that. Uh, and he sort of he, he looks at it from um, a few different angles of uh, of interest with regard to blockchain technology and how it's already transforming uh, these areas of interest. So these are uh, to think of it um, in terms of anti-counterfeit and brand protection um so to consider um you know counterfeit products in the luxury uh, goods market um to think about how blockchain can help to uh underscore the provenance of of certain items um and and make sure that knockoff brands um you know are, are clearly not being sold as as authentic and i like to expand that uh, that notion into the area of, uh, of, of social good as well, and to think about, uh, for example, the, the global health um, and, and counterfeit drug market, and how blockchain might be able to um, to, to eliminate some of those counterfeit drugs um, and provide safer, uh, you know, safer, safer pharmaceuticals for people around the world. Um, so that's one area and and then thinking about how that anti counterfeit relates to brand protection. Um, you know the, these luxury goods industries say that the biggest competitor to them is is the fake market. Um, so you know being able to eliminate that will will help to protect uh, their brands. Then he uh, he looks at supply chain as well, uh, uses the example of uh, of tuna tuna fish supplies, uh, and being able to track, uh, right down to you know the, the 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 lowest level of the supply chain where tuna might have come from, uh, and the different paths uh, that it has gone through to get to um, to you as perhaps a restaurant or a retailer or something like that, uh, and the importance again of brand protection of being able to track that very very closely and not be uh, not be tripped up by um, any practices within your supply chain uh, that that might. Um, that might not be up to your standards, uh, and that you know that could go for any any number of different um, supplies as well i I think about technology companies and and retail and, and apparel manufacturers as well and you know the the history they've had of of difficulties in the supply chain and how uh, blockchain and and um, being able to to track very you know accurately. Through every level of the supply chain, where certain components or ingredients for food or something like that have come from, um, he looks at uh, at advertising specifically as well. Um, the The Guardian decided to purchase its own digital ad inventory and made a discovery that it was getting as little as thirty pence for every pound uh, that it put in. Um, and he sort of he he, he looks at. Um, the the financial industry that blockchain technology stands to to most immediately disrupt. And the ad industry, uh, comprises a vast coterie, he says of, of third party clearing houses and middlemen that sit between the agencies, advertisers, media companies and, and audiences. Um, and so blockchain can help to, um, to navigate that a lot more efficiently and get more value for your advertising, uh, input. And then, uh, he also looks at um, loyalty programs, considers how in consumer marketing blockchain could affect loyalty programs. Um, so it's sort of less about punch cards now and wondering where they might have been punched, and more about giving giving your partners and your customers um, a, a program, an authentic program that is trustworthy um, and and uh, you know can be can be relied upon um, by by customers all over the world. Um and all of this is, you know is 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 great and is interesting but what it, what it does for me is really underpins this idea of secure secure storytelling. Um and you know we're facing a world at the moment where trust in business is is at its you know, at its lowest, uh, Edelman's Trust Barometer found this year that, it, although it had increased a little bit in 2016, in 2017 trust in business had had uh, reduced again, and that sort of came at a time where I feel like for the past 10, 15 years, companies have been putting a lot of of investment into corporate responsibility, uh, community programs, things that theoretically should be helping to increase trust in business. And yet here we are um, 10, 15 years later, as uh, in fact, it's probably 20 years later, um, you know, still struggling with the fact that uh, businesses aren't being trusted. And to me, there's a disconnect between the practices that companies are undertaking and the stories or the information that is getting out to people. So by being able to uh authenticate these stories um or to have more honest and more transparent stories through something like blockchain and uh you know using blockchain in uh, corporate practices can help to underpin those stories and and make them more secure and i think you know it has the potential to to help to rebuild trust within the corporate sector um so that's a fairly broad summary of of what uh, this research piece talks about, um, but I, I hope that uh, I hope that helps.
0: Raises many, many more questions.
1: Mm. It does. <laughs>
0: and unfortunately, we we're going to run out of time before we can address them. But I'm going to piggyback on one of the last things that you mentioned, which is trust in business, just as trust in media is very low. What would you suggest to our listeners who are tasked with communicating, with connecting with internal or external audiences, whether it's branding or sales or public relations, media relations, all of these, what sources of information where they might gain a better understanding of the issues that are affecting this specific issue and what actual steps they might take if you have any recommendations that you care to share.
1: Sure. So um, one of the things that we have learned um, through all of this is, is that Um, employees are considered more trustworthy spokespeople than official spokespeople from companies and and companies themselves. Um, So I I think it's very important for companies to be able to start to unleash their employee workforce um, as their advocates uh, among consumers and among uh, employee groups themselves and among potential employees, for example. So, employee advocacy programs, uh, tapping into employees' social networks um, or social media networks, you know, can can be a huge, a hugely significant way of helping to improve trust. Um, now, in order to to get employees to start doing that, they need to feel like they are, are working for a company that they're passionate about that that um, you know it has purpose and values at its core, and they're going to want to to share those stories. Um, so I think it's about providing a a foundation for employees to feel comfortable taking those stories to their own personal networks um, and And that I think comes from having those those values at your core of an organization um and and uncovering those stories from throughout the organization uh helping to to raise them to the surface in such a way that uh employees feel comfortable and in indeed uh, enthusiastic about sharing um among their networks so that uh it's it's less about coming from the corporation and the messages are more about coming from uh people who might be uh at this at, the, at, at this moment in time, uh, more trustworthy uh, than, than the official spokespeople.
0: So if I hear you correctly, in a bit of a nutshell to summarize, mm. share from within?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, share, share from within and um, through an expanded network of, of employees who uh, are advocating for the company.
0: Thank you, Alex, for joining us from Atlanta, Georgia.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It was, uh, it was nice to discuss. I'm, I'm sorry if we, if we used up all the time.
0: Not at all. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Alex Parkinson, who is Associate Director of the Society for New Communications Research of the Conference Board, who discussed the Society. please.